affirmed that. <laughs> no, folks, can we get to the candle? All right, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Can you play the Forrest Gump theme song? <laughs> So this is not going to be a very long one. I have written down everything I want to say. At any point you see me going off script, you should feel free to hiss at me. Because this is not the majority of what we're going to be doing for our sermon tonight. It is also worth pointing out that it did have, we had slides, but they're, you can't read them at all. Uh, and so we're going to hope that the slides were not the most important thing to follow with anything that I have to say tonight. So there are different colors in it, so there's actually words you can't see. It's okay. I have it all written down, and you just won't have a visual aid to go with it. It's not going to be the end of the world. Um, okay, so the, the way that Advent usually works is that we're working through four themes. And so you can see that the first week, which Aaron, let's give Aaron a very big deal. Tonight's theme is peace, the following week is joy, and then the last Sunday of Advent is love. And so tonight we're going to be talking about uh, peace. And so I think that the important thing that we start when we, when we talk about peace is we actually give a definition to it. Um, because the way that the Bible understands peace and the way that we understand peace are wildly different things. Um, in, the, in the Bible, the word peace is the word shalom. It's actually the word that I have tattooed on my wrist right there, shalom. Um, and so like, for me, this is actually a really, really deep personal thing, because it was the more I dove into like, the way the Bible understood peace, it was on like, oh, I understand why Jesus is good news now. And that was actually what led me to faith, that one biblical word, shalom, um, which we'll talk a little bit about tonight. And the way that the Bible understands is this peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of wholeness. I will repeat that because you do not have a visual aid. <laughs> Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of wholeness. So it is, in Eden, like there's almost, like there is perfect peace. Not because there isn't conflict, but because everything exists exactly as created to exist. And yet all we have to do is look outside or look inside, and we see that things are broken and fractured and they don't exist the way that they're meant to. And so we look out and we're like, the world is not a peace-filled place. And everything that we see in the news, everything that is in our life is like, oh, this is, this is not the fullness, of, the fullness of wholeness, but it's the absence of wholeness. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at one passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. Um, we're going to pick up with verse 46, but let me give a quick recap. An angel has visited a teenage girl in a very, very far-off land. Um, and she has been told, for reasons that she does not fully understand, that she has been set aside for a particular task. Um, and through no work of her own, she is going to be bearing the Son of God who is going to save all of creation and every single person who would accept it. So kind of a big deal. Um, and so the way that Mary actually closes in verse 38 
And she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answers. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her, which is Mary's version of saying, all right, let's get on with it. Like, let's get this thing going. She immediately gets up and she visits her closest friend, who's her, her cousin Elizabeth. And they have this conversation when they first meet. Um, and, like, at the end of this conversation, there's this thing that, like, explodes out of Mary, um, which is her life, trying to understand what it is that God is doing. And she does it right in front of Elizabeth. And so I want to invite you to stand, if you're physically able, for the reading of God's Word today. From Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It is Luke chapter 1, you're right. Man, all my outlines are wrong. The slides have been wrong. We've been saved. Uh, we're going to start with verse uh, 46. This is called Mary's Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Lord Jesus, would you speak to us tonight through your word? Would you speak to us through the words of your people tonight? And what it is that you have been doing in us as a body, as a people. We submit ourselves to your word. Yes, God. The word that is on these pages and the word that you are, you are putting into our hearts even now. We submit to that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so in this second week of Advent, what we are invited into is straight into real life. This is the question. Will we deal with the places in ourselves and in our world where there is not peace? Will we actually deal with those things, or will we try to evade them and escape them? So I, I'm gonna, we're not going to go deep into this, into, into the text tonight, because there's something very specific that Mary does that we're going to do. Um, but I want to, we have to understand Mary's situation just a little bit. So what Mary is doing, uh, and what, what was able to be captured on the pages of Scripture, is she is screaming from the rooftops that something has happened, and at this point in time, no one believes her. No one. Like, what, what she is recognizing, like, this is, like, let's talk about what is actually happening in real life with Mary. Because sometimes with Scripture, what we do is we think that these are not real people. This is a real person with a real name, a real face, a real place, a real story, in a real time, in a real point in history. And for Mary, what it is that she is saying, which is like, I'm pregnant, and there is no human father... 
but specifically no one that I'm married to. Her fate lies in the hands of more powerful men. That is what's happening. So the question for Mary is, will Joseph believe me? Will he divorce me? Because there are certain things that Joseph has by law and by right at that point in time in this patriarchal culture, this male-dominated, male-powerful culture that Joseph can do. And as soon as Mary tells Joseph, like, things can blow up like that. What about her dad? What is her dad? Will her dad believe her? Because let, let's let's be let's be clear. Mary, what she is saying is the truth. This is not a story that she hatched up. It is truth. And so the question isn't whether or not is what is Mary speaking truth. The question is, will other people believe her? Will her dad believe her? Will her uncles believe her? Will her brothers believe her? Will the town elders believe her? Because if they don't believe her story and they just write it off as hashtag fake news, do you know what happens to Mary? They stone her. That, that's in the, in the hands of very powerful men. If they don't believe her, this teenage girl, like she's done. And even if she lives, because she's telling her story, the culture is going to give her a black mark for the rest of her life. And literally, this, we do know that this is what happens. For the rest of her life, her precious son, who's going to be born, it is, is called what we call a child. That is a bad word that I won't say out loud for certain age children that are in the room. You can talk about me or about me later. But that is what Jesus was called for the rest of his life. Because Mary actually told her story. A large piece of the Advent story is a little teenage girl named Mary making a decision. Will she put herself in the hands of God? Will she be brave enough to walk this through? Will this little girl tell her story knowing that her fate actually lies not in the hands of more powerful men but in the hands of a good and gracious father. Will she speak up? Because if we're, if we're going to be honest about like Mary's experiences, Mary is not seeing peace. Mary's not feeling shalom. She's not experiencing the presence of holiness. I'm going to say that again. Like it's easy to like say, like to, to put Mary aside and be like, you're the blessed virginal mother who wasn't really human. She's a teenager, and she may die. Mary is not seeing peace. She is not feeling shalom. She is not experiencing the presence of wholeness. And yet, what she says is, all right, come on, let's get on with this thing. Let's do it. What does she do? That is the question that we actually have to ask. If the living God is with her, when she knows the future is peace, but the present is anything but peace, what then? If the living God, we say this again, if the living God is with her, when she knows that the future is peace, but the present is anything but, what happens then? And this is this is all that Mag- Mary's Magnificat is. It's this. Quite simply, she just looks to the past. Yeah. What is God's track record? Hallelujah. That's it. That's all Mary does in the Magnificat. She's like, well, holy crap, like, 
What am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? And she does what she has been taught to do over and over and over and over again. When you are smack in the middle of anxiety and worry and fear and hopelessness and anxiety and things taking you over and things eating you from the inside out, you look at God's track record. That's right. And this is what Mary says. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been, past tense, mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Past tense, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds, again, past tense, with his arm. He has scattered, past tense, those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Let's pause there. What Mary is talking about is that in a world where the powerful get more powerful and the people who are pushed to the margins get more and more marginalized and oppressed, there will be a day. There will be a day. And we are seeing pieces of it now where the people who have always taken advantage The people who have always been had the upper hand, whether because of their skin color or because of whatever their whatever uh, genitals they happen to be born with, because of whatever wealth that they have, educational background, there will be a day where that doesn't give them a pass anymore. There will be a day where, like the spirit of God in a little teenage girl, is more than enough to topple an empire and eventually. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering, again, past tense, to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. So there's a, there's a, a writer that Elizabeth and I really like. His name is Thomas Cahill, um, and he's a historian. We're nerds. We read history books, apparently. But this is what he said. He said, Mary's Magnificat, remember, this is a little teenage girl. This is what he said. Is perhaps the most muscular, revolutionary piece of writing in all of ancient literature. In a world of powerful men, a teenage girl spoke up and stepped up, and the hinges of history swung open as God used her. Advent invites us to deal with the tension that every single one of us finds ourselves in. We long for a future where there is only wholeness, when everything is as it should be. It invites us to see the world is fractured and broken, broken and hopeless without Jesus. But in this passage, what we actually see, for those of us who have Jesus, is the way forward. Where God has moved in the past, it gives us a window into the future. Does that make sense? So here Mary is. I'm going to... You can hiss, but just like... I just want to make this really, really simple what's happening. So we're all on the same page. Mary is not feeling wholeness. She is feeling terror more than likely. She's feeling anger more than likely. She's feeling frustration. And in the midst of that, she's able to say, let's get on with this. How does she get to that point from A to B? The way that she gets to that point 
is she looks back and is like, well, God, we're tear and 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 we're tear. I have every reason to believe he'll continue to be faithful. Let's get on with this thing. This is very simple. Like, that's the sermon. I'm done. This is what we're going to do tonight. I told you it's going to be short. So tonight, in, in honor, not honor, but like in reference to Pastor Don's famous "Do the Bible," we're, we're going to do that right here and right now. So what you'll notice what we've done: we've taken something that we oftentimes do, which is community prayer, and we flipped it and we put it after the sermon. So this is what I want us to do: Mary stepped into her holy calling because she was able to recognize where God was breaking through in the past. So this is the question that I, w- I want you to ask. And we're going to give you about 60 to 90 seconds just to think about this and pray and reflect on this with the Lord. Just in the last four weeks, so don't think beyond that, in the last four weeks, where has God been breaking through in your life? Where has God been breaking through in this church community? What about in this city or in this country? So what we're asking is that, and this is a supernatural thing, we are saying that in the name of Jesus, you would have eyes to see where it is that the Father has been working. So look with those eyes for the last four weeks. Where has he been working? And as best as you can, for each person, just identify one thing. One thing. You can write that down if you want, but see if you can land on one thing. I'm going to shut up for 60 or 90 seconds, and then we're going to step into the next section of what we're going to do. Thank you, John. 
that everyone can just everyone say their name. Not just for you, but like, you know, everyone who goes in the future. My name is Latanya, and uh, almost December 10, 2014, I was in a head-on collision. And so my entire right side is metal. And so in the last four weeks, what I did was walk back into a job that no one thought that I would ever go back again. Um, the doctor that did my hip surgery said, I'm just not going to operate on her foot because we just don't think she'll ever walk again. And so not only am I able to walk, but I'm able to run. Well, not one yet. <laughs> but I just want to say, be encouraged. What people say that you could do, my job held my position. I've been in training. This is my third time around going through training. They held my job for almost a year, which is uncommon. So I just want to tell you guys, be encouraged. <laughs> Hello, my name is Zaire. So, um, in my couple of seconds, I can only think of a song, so I'm just going to sing a song, but I'm not a great singer, but this is what I thought about. I've had my share of ups and downs. Times when there was no one around God gave me this These words to me Praise will confuse the enemies So I started singing I started clapping I kept
petitioning for people who are in different situations like you. I just want to challenge everyone about that. Um, I'm really empathetic, and um, I think that we often get like so caught up in the people that like are like us or like live on the same street as us, go to the same church as us, but there are like people on the streets and like in terrible situations. And I feel like as the church, it's our role to reach out to those people. And I know that we can't help everyone, but like just seeing people as humans and as created in God's image and not just like robots, like, oh, it was their fault, like they should have done this and that, because some people can't control that. and. Like, think about, like, how you would feel if you were in that situation and just know that God created all of us to be equals and not to look down on each other because we're all human, we're all humanity, we all mess up. And I think that as the church, it's our role to encourage one another and to help each other in those times instead of looking at, like, problems or sickness as, like, oh, I don't want to talk to her. Like, she's going through her thing. So I just want to encourage everyone to this week and just see people as valued and as created in God's image and on the same level as you. Uh, was this, peace be with you. 
Um, and, it, and essentially what he's saying was like, may you go in the wholeness and the freedom that only God can bring. Um, so the good news of Jesus is in the midst of a world full of chaos, a world full of sin, and fear, and oppression, and lack of integrity, and isolation, and those proud of their innermost thoughts, Jesus can be your peace. Like, the, the, the story of Advent is how God became one of us. And so like, he can actually become your peace. God with us. And so the, the, the same questions that Mary was asking, I think, are the questions that we need to be asking tonight as well. Um, and, and it says, where do you need to speak up? Where do you need to step up? And where do you need God's power to do so? Where do you need to step up? Where do you need to speak up? And where do you need God's power to do so? Aaron or Makita or whoever's It's not me leaving water. Oh, yeah.
that literally right now, I'm, I'm like living in a dream. I mean, literally. I grew up in a foster home, projects, credit court. I really met Jesus by a single mom, my wife's mother, holding a Bible study in her house. And for years I've had a dream that I wanted to minister to single moms. And it happened last night. And I'm telling you, here. I, I mean, the joy that blessed those sisters was, was I, I know that had nothing to do with me. That had all to do with the power of God. And then what I saw was, you know, I'm standing here with the pastor, he's the pastor. But I got saved in the projects of great court because a single mom said to her daughter, if he's your boyfriend, he got to come to this balance. <laughs> And then I had dreams. I dreamed of this church. I dreamed of this church. I dreamed and dreamed and dreamed and believed and dreamed and dreamed and believed and dreamed and believed. Friday night, we got we got men together. I got to watch my spiritual son, Chris Lee, just knock it out the park. My little sister was 19 years old. Church that I was to sing that song. So they're gonna do this blessing. 